Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the Roos, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bruise Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. I hope the sting from the last two weeks has worn off a little bit because Arsenal are right back at it again Friday night against Southampton, who have had a pretty difficult season, but were able to take points off Arsenal in the reverse fixture before the World Cup break. So definitely it's not going to be an easy fixture, no walk in the park, anything like that. Uh, Today we have a guest coming on to preview our match against Southampton, and then we'll have the guys back on to talk Arsenal. With me today to talk about Southampton is Frazier Spinney, who covers Southampton for Analytics United. He's on the There's Only One football podcast, and you can find on Twitter at FrazierSpinney21. Frazier, hello. How are you? Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Would have been better if Arsenal hadn't uh, you know bottled it the last two matches, but you know, <laughs> it's another day. <laughs> if I let my mood, we'd be in big trouble. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question I had for you is, you know, with Arsenal and Southampton, these are the two youngest squads in the Premier League, and it's kind of interesting that they're bookending the table right now. And within the Arsenal circle, and I'm sure you know in the general footballing media, there's a lot of talk about. Is the youth of Arsenal kind of one of the reasons behind you know us potentially failing to win the league and our lack of experience and things like that? Is do you have I guess in the Southampton fan base do you guys have similar thoughts about you know you're in a relegation battle and kind of is that youth you know is that a detriment to your relegation fight? Yeah, I think it's um, an interesting point because I think um, interestingly as well, a lot of our youth are, none of them are really from our actual academy. They're all, all sort of cherry picked from, um, big club academies where we've sort of promised them first team football and they've, they've come along and, um, joined and they've been given that opportunity to be fair. But, um, I think it's just a little bit of a case of too much too soon for Southampton. I think, um, the fact that we didn't have a, a, a core group of, um, experienced players that were performing well, and we don't have a great deal of um, sort of leaders leaders in the in the changing room. I mean, um, Oriol Romeo left in the summer, and he was a big part of the dressing room. I think War Prowse is probably currently, obviously, his club captain. He's probably the only experienced big voice, and I'm not even sure he's a massive voice. He just sort of leads by example in the dressing room. So I think. I think a little bit more sort of leadership and mentorship for those young players could have gone a long way because they're very talented players. I mean, Romeo Lavia is is exceptional yeah, in his first season of sort of senior football at not he's just turned nineteen. But the likes of sort of Gavin Bazuna in goal, um, uh, Samuel Dozi, we've both got from City, um, uh, Larios, the left back, um, Sefi Mara up front. They all could have done with being that. Um, backup option that sort of comes on and um, sort of when the games, I guess when the games won or when 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 the cup competitions allow and we haven't had that luxury due to how the season's gone and the recruitment and there's sort of a big gap in our squad between the very young players and the very old players and not a lot in between um, and the older players aren't performing well enough to justify their place but the younger players are obviously very raw and 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 they've got i mean it's very early in their careers for them to be under so much pressure so it's i do feel a bit like that and i think i'm the mentality at southampton has been a bit questioned questionable for a two or three seasons now and i think this year it's really really starting to show 
is the the fact that you have so many young and promising players at the club is that kind of like the one bright spot in you know a really difficult season and kind of makes nothing ever makes the prospects of a relegation easier or anything like that but you know thinking well you know, if we do go down at least it's with a group of players who have gained a little you know a lot of premier league experience and hopefully if we go right back up it's just at least in championship they'll be able to continue that their development and things like that and kind of you know, not doing it with a squad that's all 34 and you kind of have to replenish on a championship budget, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think um, there's a there's a good group of young players there that um, could flourish in the championship, I think. I mean, Romeo Laviel, who I, who I mentioned here, he'll get he'll get a big move anyway, because even though he's only played one season, but there's a bit there's a number of players there who probably weren't quite Premier League ready, but a year in a uh, sort of bedding them in this year, and then a, a, if we are in the championship, which obviously I hope we're not, but it's looking increasingly likely. I think they can really really benefit from that. One player in particular is the striker um, Sekimara. He's only scored one Premier League goal this season. It was against City, and he, we signed him from Bordeaux when um, because Bordeaux had a lot of financial troubles, and we got him really cheap. And it's 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 a fundamental flaw of Southampton's recruitment in the summer that so much has been expected of him. He should have been able to come in this season and be a player that learns the sort of the tricks of the trade and eases his way into Premier League football. But he's been thrown in because of lack of alternatives, and I think he is one player that could thrive in the Championship. We've obviously had Nathan Teller out on loan at Burnley, who's been un- unbelievable in the Championship, and I mean Burnley are going to be after him, but we've got him tied down to quite a long-term deal, so he might stick around. Um, and but pe- people like Bazunu as well in goal, like, there's a talented keep in there but he's just been he's just been thrown in right at the deep end and, and, and has struggled at times and I think away from the spotlight of the Premier League a little bit and in the championship where you've got games thick and fast I mean I think it could be the making of some of these players but it's always difficult to sort of is it a lot of the fan base are sort of saying oh we'll drop down we'll come straight back up it's not it's not always that simple and um it has to be managed well at board level, I think, for us to have that chance to bounce back up. But there's definitely a very talented young group of players that that could be very exciting in the future. So kind of the story of Southampton season has been this roller coaster through multiple managers. Obviously, Ralph Hasenhodl was sacked in November. Then the Nathan Jones experience lasted 14 games. And now you're, you're with interim manager Ruben Salas. Like how at all, I guess, has Southampton improved under Salas and like, what are your expectations to see, you know, from a stylistic point of view from him for the, the remainder of Premier League season? Yeah, so, um, it's a it's an interesting question because stylistically, um, coming off the back of Nathan Jones, who wanted to play sort of, or claimed he wanted to play direct football. I mean, in my opinion, he was there 14 games too many, but um, <laughs> that's how it, how it worked out. But um, yeah, Ruben Sellers is a strange one because he's obviously never been a first uh, senior manager. So, in terms of sort of knowing what his style or what his favourite style would be, it, it's difficult. And um, I think he is a coach renowned for sort of his experience in coaching four three three and four two three one. But um, I think what happened really is he sort of took it back to basics. And obviously, he was the coach. He joined in the summer, so he coached under Hassanu and Jones. And um, I think he sort of piggybacked uh, Hassanu's tactics in the early early games when he came in. I mean, against Chelsea, he literally cut and pasted Ralph Hatton who was 4-2-2-2 uh, pressing counter pressing system and I mean it worked a treat but it was almost it was a return to sort of what the players are familiar with and what works best for them he said he didn't have time to sort of come up with a new tactic and he used that and it served him well but the problems that were evident in Hassan Hootle's time are also evident in Sellers' time in that 
it works well against the good sides, but we cannot break teams down around us. I mean, we've lost 1-0 to, I think I think five of the teams in the bottom three at the time when we played them, we've lost 1-0. Um, we've lost, we've played, when we've been bottom of the league, we've played the team in 19th five times. We've lost all five. Like, it's just it's just not good enough. And I think the really disappointing thing for me on Saturday, because Sellers is sort of, he he... Early on in the first few games, he sounded really like positive and like he wanted to be on the front foot and um, really pressing and attacking. But away at West Ham, when the game was there to be won, he played our four best presses in the front four positions rather than the players that are going to go and get you a goal. Between the four of them, I think they'd scored um, two goals and got four assists all season. And it was just not very inspiring. And then against City, when we all, uh, a lot of the fan base thought, right, it's time to sort of unleash and take the handbrake off and play play um Paul on Yonachu who we signed this in January as six foot eight striker. We we lined up against Palace at home in a must win game without a striker on the pitch. And it's just it, it Sellers had some sort of he had the will of, of the fans early on, but he's sort of run out of steam it seems a little bit and um his tactics have been quite questionable, I have to say. I mean in terms of what you can expect to set up it's, it's a bit of a mystery because he's played a four uh, on Saturday. We literally played quite a simple four four two, but without a striker, it was two false nines in Aribo and Alcaraz. Um, we played four two three. We played four two two two. We played four two four, kind of, and then four two three one all under Sellers. So it's it's really difficult to say what what we'll do. I think I hope, I hope Sellers watched the uh, the game on Saturday from a Southampton uh, Sunday, sorry, from a Southampton perspective and saw how much trouble Antonio caused um, running the channels against you because I think. Um, we could really benefit from that. We don't, with Che Adams out injured, I mean, we don't really have a player that fits the sort of profile of Antonio of a big, powerful sort of runner. But there are there are quick enough players to sort of cause you problems if we if you get you running back towards your own goal. I think I'm right in saying Saliba's not going to be fit um, or is a Dow again, which is, I mean, it's bad news for you guys, but it's, it's a bit of hope for us. I think um, Rob Holden is a big drop off in, in, in the level from Saliba, in my opinion. And, um, I think I, I think we're capable. I think we're capable of causing you problems, uh, Arsenal, on on on, Saturday, on Friday night. But I feel like uh, we almost have to be perfect to get a result. Whereas you guys sort of just have to. I mean, you you'll be looking for a reaction, and and uh, he, and it's difficult to say what what sort of Arsenal will face. I mean, I imagine you'll start fast at home against us, but um, yeah, it's difficult to say. I think we'll press you quite high, but. Ultimately, it'll come down to if we can stay in the game long enough, I think. Yeah, it is uh, definitely going to be interesting if you do press high. Um, you know, Rob Holding, it, it, that's not exactly his strength. And you know, if we had Saliba, I would say, bring it on, please press us high because we'll yeah. absolutely shred you apart. And <laughs> typically, if there's, you know, against the, the lower half of the Premier League, teams that press us high kind of pay for it. And when when Arsenal have struggled, it's been when a team sits back. I guess you kind of touched on it before, uh, but you kind of you guys did the double this season over Chelsea. You drew against United and Spurs recently. Thank you very much. And you, you drew against Arsenal last yeah. time we played. Yet yeah, like you said, you're you know comfortably at the bottom and you, you've lost one nil to the teams that are nineteenth five times. Like is it you know, a mentality thing, you know, oh, we're going up against these big sides, we have nothing to lose, and kind of going a little bit maybe back to that first question of like, this is a relegation six-pointer, we have to win, and, and dealing with those youth, or is it, you know, just something about kind of the way that you play and kind of should we expect that similar mentality on Friday? 
Yeah, I think it's um for me, I think it's a, a combination of mentality and and the tactics sort of play into the hands of playing without the ball. In terms of um, we aren't <laughs> hasn't. I mean, hasn't who his his time was up by the time he left. I mean, it's gone a bit stale, but he did so well for so long on the basis that we we didn't have a good squad of players, but they were very very good at pressing and and turnovers high up the pitch. And um, the whole sort of purpose of that was we couldn't defend. We had a poor defence. So press high up and you keep the ball as far away from your goal as possible. And that um, is kind of what, what what I think we still do against the better sides. And I think that's why, like you said, we um, we seem to do okay against the better sides. We're struggling against the weaker sides because especially at home, we're really, really poor at home. We've lost 10 games at home already this season, which is joint, our joint record. And we've still got three more home games. So um, starting on, well, yeah. But um. It is. I think it's tactically. I think when we are given the initiative, when we're especially at home against the teams around us, when we're expected to go and take the games to the opposition, we really, really struggle. We um we can't seem to break teams down. I mean, Palace on Saturday, we were by far the best team in the first half, but we didn't create a chance. We created one chance from a corner, but from open play, we just couldn't create anything because teams know they can just sit in in a low block against us and we just we just haven't got the, the players to break them down and it's it's infuriating to watch because we play then we'll play against a, an Arsenal or a Chelsea and we'll look really really good and really aggressive but it's because they are we are waiting for the turnovers and then breaking a pace whereas the team sat in and they letting you have 60% possession you can't you can't turn them over in transition or you can't spring the um the attack quickly. Um, so I think it's a combination of both. And I think mentality, I think it's got to a point now where it's been happening for so long that I think the players sort of, you can visibly see they're sort of, they're out of ideas. They don't know, they just don't know how to go and break a team down. And it's, um it's, it's and I think some of that is as well, the young players being there, the lack of experience and um the lack of patience in that. Experienced players know if you if you have a majority of the ball and you, you keep plugging away, like a chance will come. Whereas the younger players, you can see, first half of a game we're normally all right, but in the second half, when our like taking our position into account and knowing we have to get points, you can just see the players just it's it's written on their faces. They're they're visibly sort of panicked and, and worried, and um, so I think it is a combination. You're right of tactics combined with the mentality and. Um, if we could play a top six team every week, we might be a Premier League team next season. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that, which is sounds so strange to say. But yeah, and we just can't score goals. I mean, in our last eight league games, we've only managed we've not scored in five of those games. Um, it's just not. It's just really, really poor. We haven't. I mean, even with Che Adams was fit, he's not prolific, but he's our best striking option. Where we we just really struggle to score. We've got the, we've scored twenty four and thirty one, which is the joint lowest in the league, and. Yeah, I think I think in terms of the playing those better sides, it's the fact that we can set up almost to draw, um, and it's not not an issue. Whereas against those those weaker sides, you can't you can't set in and be look happy to have a draw. Yeah, I was looking you know some stats up, and you guys are eleventh in the league in shots and fifteenth in shots on target. So that's not great, but eleventh in shots in general. That's you know middle of the pack. That's pretty good, but yet only twenty four goals all season and dead last. And that kind of speaks to one probably the fact that Jay Adams has been hurt for a while and just not having a, a real prolific striker. That kind of a lot of times that's what will keep 
teams in the league, even if they don't deserve it. And from our perspective, I know Che Adams often does score against Arsenal. He he has that knack. And so I'm definitely going to be glad to see him not on the pitch. Uh, yeah. So everybody knows that James Ward-Prowse is you know, a genius at free kicks, but other than him, you know, kind of where should Arsenal's defense be worried and like, where does the threat come from? Yeah, good question. Um, in terms of um, who I say would, will, will I say they'll definitely play and now they won't, but um, we signed uh, Mkhamadin Sulemana from um, Ren in January. And he is, I mean, he's as raw as a player will come. He's 20 years old, but he is absolutely lightning. And um, he can, he's one of those players, he'll try and make something happen. He's, it doesn't, it, I mean, he's yet to score for us. It hasn't quite come off in the final third just yet, but there's a, there's definitely a player in there and there's, he's very exciting. And especially against a team like yourselves, who will probably have a lot of the ball. If we're looking to break, he'll be the outlet. And um, yeah, I really like the look of him. I think he's another player that I, I, I can imagine he wouldn't necessarily come down with us if we go down because he had a few sort of people looking at him in January. But if he was to do so, I can see him really learning his trade in the championship and then coming back up and being a really good player because he just is so raw. He needs to he needs to calm down a little bit in the final third. Everything's very erratic. But in terms of beating his man or running at someone, he's very, very exciting. I mean, he's really a really promising player. Um, other than that, there's not a great deal, to be honest. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, Walcott seems to start every game at the moment, but he's nothing to be worried about. He's 34 and he's no he's no uh, no well beater certainly these days. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about him. The other the only other thing um is obviously uh, yeah set, um free kicks around the edge of the box. Obviously, Ward Prowse, but um even from corners we're poor because we we're such a small team. Um, don't really have much of a threat from corners. If we are to play on you, at you, I mean, he's six foot seven, so you'd like to think he'd be a threat, threat airily. Um, but I think that almost plays into your hands a little bit, um, going airily with a holding and um, Gabriel at centre back. I think it's not maybe the best tactic to play against you guys. So I think um, it's difficult. I think Carlos, I mean, Carlos Alcaraz is a really, really tidy footballer, and I like him a lot. He's a number 10 we signed in January. Um, he hit the post on stuff against Palace and he's he's been probably he's been one of our better players since he signed he's very good at finding little pockets of space and um, beating a man and he does love a shot so I'd probably say in terms of the threats you should be concerned about if any are um, Alcaraz and Suleimana for sure well, uh, luckily for you, you have Suleimana, who is a, a raw talent who can't score, and Todd Bowley will give you guys $100 million for him in the summer, so you'll be set. Because <laughs> uh, we know Chelsea love love a player like that. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so I guess one final question. Do you look at Arsenal's last two results where we've, kind of, we've thrown away two straight two-gold leads, and does that kind of give you a little sense that you know Ar- Arsenal are weak and... and you know, they're there for the taking potentially, or do you look at it and say, Arsenal are a really good team. They're not going to, you know, kind of bottle it or capitulate three games in a row. So kind of people used to look at, Oh, you never want to play Manchester city, the the match after they lose because you're going to get blown away. Yeah. I think it's, it'll be a very interesting one. I think, and I think it will be the question that everyone's asking is, is this a little blip that you'll come back from and you'll, turn the corner or is this the beginning of the crumble um i think the from a savannah perspective we have to try and play on that um at the emirates i think we have to try and make it nervy for you guys um the crowd the crowd i think if we if i mean if you score early then 
it's almost game over in my opinion. If I say that, you're two now up twice in a row, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was like, it was um, 10 minutes uh, in London Stadium, and uh, look how that happened. <laughs> I was going to say, if you score early, you'll win the game, but maybe not. But um, I think we have to try and uh, try and cause you some problems and, and sort of keep the crowd a bit quiet. And um, I think the longer, if, if we can get, I mean, if we get an early goal, then amazing. But the longer it goes on nil-nil, I think um, the Emirates will start getting a bit nervy and... and, and um, fans and players will start to sort of get a bit frustrated and um, it's hard to know whether you, you might just come around, turn around and go all right we've done, done two in a drawn two in a row from two up let's go and hammer these six nil and and that um, I mean it could happen Southampton are known for getting pummeled by many a team but um, I think from our perspective we have to approach it as let's go and cause an upset again um, let's go and see see what the mentality is like get in their faces I think we will start fast as well as you guys. So it could be a really interesting opening sort of quarter of an hour, 20 minutes before the game sort of settles into a pattern. Um, I think we've just got to try and get at you early, to be honest, and, and really test that resolve and see see where your sort of mentality's at. Awesome. Thank you so much. Your, your insight was, you know, definitely appreciated. Uh, I want to give you a chance to kind of plug all, all the different projects that you're working on here. All right, brilliant. Thank you. Um, yeah, so basically, most of the stuff I write is um, I do uh, like you said, write for about Southampton for Analytics United. Um, most of the stuff will be on my Twitter at Fraser Spinney Twenty One, and that's more of a sort of um, analytical, tactical analysis sort of overview, uh, match reviews, player sort of insights, stuff like that. Um, my podcast, there's only uh, there's only one footy pod. Um, that's more of a more of a light hearted sort of football podcast um, where we sort of it's sort of having a chat with your mate at the pub kind of kind of vibe. Um, and then uh, I have my own personal football blog at Postnin One on Twitter, which is more sort of opinion based articles. Um, so yeah, if you want to check any of those out, then great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely check them out. And yeah, it was great to have you on. And you know for. Hopefully it won't be a too bad of a win. How about that? <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'll take it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you, Fraser. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate that, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Awesome. Yeah, thanks again to Fraser for hopping on and being willing to talk our, talk about Southampton with us. Luke, you know, I guess I didn't introduce the guys beforehand, but we have Luke you can find on Twitter at Ecclecoon here. Luke, how's it going? Yeah, good, mate. And um, I don't know if I feel better or worse after that, to be honest, because looking at kind of the Southampton stats and their recent form, like like two points out of the last five games, things like that, you kind of think um, for a club like Arsenal who really desperately needs a routine home game, you'd think a club like Southampton in their current form would be almost kind of ripe for the picking but then you kind of remember that they are a good result against Chelsea they are a good result against Man United they got a good result against Spurs and it does make you feel like they're really able to kind of raise their game against the better teams so now I'm a, a little bit more thinking that we need to be a bit more on a game than I probably thought we had to before I heard Frazier talk yeah, I definitely think that this is it's not I don't think it we're in for the most comfortable two, three nil match that you know maybe us Arsenal fans are looking for. But it, yeah, it, it will be interesting. Uh, we also have Ben, you can find on Twitter at Ben Browning3. Ben, what is your takeaway from you know, kind of what Fraser spoke about previewing Southampton? Do you feel the same as how Luke did? Um 
I think the two takeaways I had were one which we already knew, obviously, was uh, don't concede free kicks within 30 yards. Um, and also, it sounds like it's a bit of a bit of a win because we won't have to go 2 nil up to beat them. Judging by their goal scoring, we can, you know, score one and be fine, <laughs> and then we can't collapse from 2 nil. <laughs> they won't score a goal. Happy days. Luke, do you think that, you know, because obviously James Ward Prowse is you know, unbelievable at free kicks, do you think that will be, you know, something that Arteta specifically, you know, points out is, you know, if they're in transition or anything like that, you know, just don't don't go to ground, don't give away a free kick because of that? Or is it just one of those things, you know, you don't want to change the way you play? Similar if you have a guy on a yellow card and one more yellow card, you know, gives a suspension, you don't tell him like Gabriel Jesus you don't tell him not to play the way he does before it's just if it happens it happens kind of thing yeah I think for for 99.9% of good free kick takers I'd probably go over the latter but I think James Ward Prowse kind of changes the rules of it in that sense because he does score so many goals when you when he gets like free kicks in a certain range we've seen it not just this season but like probably like the last five or six seasons in a row like how much of a threat he is there and especially when you're looking at a team that struggles to create many chances and then convert those chances into goals. If you've got a player like James Ward-Prowse who can take a, a dead ball from 30 yards and, and kind of tuck it in that side netting in between the post, then I do think it's something you have to look at. I think that it, you know if, if you give away a ball, like give away a free kick wired and he's swinging a ball into the box, then maybe it's not as big a deal as Frazier was kind of mentioning. They're quite a small team. But I do think that in that central zone, we do have to be very careful about the fouls we give away just because I think that in terms of free kicks, this is a special player. And if we don't kind of treat him as if he's a special player, then he could burn us. I think um, it's worth saying, you know, I'm not one for bringing bad stats, but if he scores another free kick, he goes ahead of Beckham as uh, the Premier League's all-time record free kick scorer. Oh, um, be so awesome unless he did that, unless he did that against Chelsea. I can't remember, but I think he drew level at Chelsea and can go clear um, the next free kick he scores. I was about to say against Arsenal, but no, the next free kick he scores. Sounds, sounds like foreshadowing, Ben. It sounds like foreshadowing. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, I think for him, he'll want to do that at home, you know, uh, around yeah, the Southampton yeah. fans. So, you know, not not against Arsenal. At least. Yeah, yeah they, they get relegated because of drop points at Arsenal, but he saved his, <laughs> his record-breaking free kick with St. Mary's. <laughs> Yeah, so Ben, um, obviously there's a lot of talk this week about Arsenal in the last two performances and kind of what to do with the old Rob Holding and Kieran Tierney and things like that. And it does look like Zinchenko is going to be back for this match. I'm assuming that you're on the same page with the, that, you know, Arteta is not going to change anything. It's going to be the, the same lineup as we expect. It's pretty unlikely that William Saliba is going to be playing. I, I think it'd be stunning if he played for this match and not save him for Manchester City. So, yeah, do you, do you expect it to be Rob Holding there? Uh, I think we should play Thomas Partey, um, Rule Walters, and Jakob Kirill. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Blow it all up. Serious. We're going <laughs> on a serious note. I think it, it, it will be Rob Holding, won't it? Let's be honest. Unless there's a fundamental change um rob holding was the bloke that we bought in when uh when saliba got injured and it's not like we're gonna suddenly change that for a player that we already knew existed at the club 
unless they've done something dramatic in the last two weeks. And I do, as, as we said on the last podcast, I think that the return of Zinchenko will help mask Rob Holdings' flaws quite a lot, um, which is good. Um, but it is a bit worrying when you when you hear the Southampton fans go, "Well, if you're Rob Holdings playing, we'll just give him, we'll run at him, see what happens." You know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a concern. Yeah, Luke, what did you make about that? Because that was something where, yeah, you know, when Frazier just says, oh, well, you're going to be playing Rob Holding, so that's a place that you can exploit uh, that definitely is not uh, comforting. Yeah, and I, I can imagine it's probably what all the teams that he's played against season, probably the fans of those teams thought that as well. And it's, as we said before, it's not like a huge diss to Holden, who is a good player, but I think what we said about him on the last episodes is probably quite fair in the sense that he's a, he's a good player that doesn't really suit the style that we play. We don't play to his strengths. If anything, we play against his strengths. And when he was coming on as a 70th minute sub, when we're going to a five at the back, just hold out a lead, you're playing to his strengths. But I think starting him from the, from the first minute and expecting him to play the same as Saliba has played and Gabriel's played this season is almost like it, it's, it's judging a fish on his ability to climb a tree. You know, it's, it's, he's not quick. He can't cover that ground. <laughs> um, he's not terribly good on the ball. I do agree with Ben that Zinchenko coming back or at least alleviate that technical burden that he and Tierney were really struggling with against West Ham and obviously we're at home so that's another factor that comes into play um, I do think that it'll be holding the day even though like Arteta isn't against making big calls we've seen him make big calls in, in the past like um, like when he threw the youth in against Chelsea on that Boxing Day game that got us to win so I feel like if he feels that but there's a better do, option do then you, he's brave enough Do you remember how many um, games we went through about October and November, where we were saying, "Please play Smith Rowe, please play Smith Rowe," like uh, yeah. just something that saved different. his job. Yeah, he did. No, but it came. Yeah. It, it, it's not. I don't think he's not. Um, you know, maybe it's comparing apples and oranges, but he's not like Unai Emery was in terms of just chucking youth players in. He's very much. He puts them in when he thinks they're ready, and if he doesn't think these players are ready, then we're probably not going to see them, no matter how much people are clamouring to see them play. Yeah. Yeah, and also, and for every like Boxing Day Chelsea game, you've also got Smith Rowe at false nine against Villarreal in the Europa League. So he's not 100% with his big calls, but I do trust him enough, especially at this point in time, that he knows the squad and he's built enough of the squad that if he was to make a big change, then there'd be enough reason to it that, that it would make sense. And I think that if you're not going to play Holden, the only thing that really makes sense is maybe you drop Party to right back, you drop Ben White to centre back, you have Jorginho come in at six, and you just maybe ask Party to sit a bit closer to Jorginho just to protect him a bit more in transition. At least then it doesn't really disturb our build-up shape. It doesn't disturb. It serves as little as, as it would have to be. But I do think that putting in a guy that we've never seen play other than a, one or two preseason games and expecting this kids to kind of like jump in um, uh, against uh, Man City and probably the biggest game that we've had in the last 20 years is a bit over the top. I also think that to include Kirio is a big, um, it's a big risk considering we've only really seen him play one game against sport in, in the Europa League. And I'd say if anything in that game, he looked like he was going to take a bit of adapting if that game didn't even go by. Um, so I do think that holding is probably the best option we've got there. And it's not really what everyone wants to hear, but at the end of the day, we have injuries. Holding was never meant to be relied upon. And if we didn't have like a lot of injuries, then he wouldn't be. But it is where we are. So I think that we have to, the, like, the most likely scenario is that 
we're going to have to put our trust in Rapaldin and hope that he kind of shows the the whole Dini FA Cup final performance against Chelsea rather than the the Spurs red card last season kind of performances. Ben, given the fact that we do have Manchester City in midweek next week, do you think there's going to be any sort of rotation at all? The, the one position that I could see us is starting Jorginho over Thomas Party, just because you know he obviously is in, critical to how we play, and he was did not have the greatest performance on Sunday against West Ham, and just maybe a little rest could do him well. And knowing, obviously, that we want the entire first eleven in. 15 players if, if possible to be you know as fresh as possible um i don't think so i just think that at this point we need to give ourselves the best chance of three points and i think if we went into this um this game against man city off the back of you know three draws or two draws and a defeat or whatever i mean for a start it would send the fan base wild and you know you'd be seeing how arsenal aren't going to get top four or whatever now um and secondly, you know, it's just not good for the players. And at the end of the day, three points is three points in this sort of thing. We can't afford to mess around with taking three points like we have done on the pitch for the last couple of games. Um, so I think going into it, Mikel Arteta will say, right, you know, go win the first half 4-0 with your first, you know, best 11, and then you can start making changes if you need to. Um, I do think we'll probably see Jorginho come on just to sort of control the tempo towards the end. I'd be surprised if Zinchenko lasts the 90 minutes. Um, but again, I would expect him to start if he's fit. But I, I agree, there are there are question marks because we don't want to be going to the Etihad with holding Tierney or you know if we have to play Jorginho like we did in the first game against them, and you don't want it. You don't really want anyone to get injured. You, you could make a case for dropping just about the whole starting eleven. You know, you wouldn't want Ben White to get injured ahead of City. You wouldn't want you know Gabriel, and then you'd be playing holding and white at center back with party at right back, you know, you definitely wouldn't want Saka getting injured. So I think you just have to take your chances and hope that unless you know a player's carrying a knock, you just have to hope they get through this game. Um and focus on this game before you then focus on Man City. Luke, uh thinking of uh, William Saliba, there's been obviously a lot of conflict conflicting reports around, you know, his status for the season. Some people are saying you know, he's being managed day to day and it's going to be, you know, every day it, it changes and there's a chance he's going to come in, play against City and basically that's it. And then other people are kind of saying it's unlikely if we see him at all this season or for the rest of the season. Kind of what is your, you know, obviously we don't know, but like what is your your feeling behind that? My feeling is, even though I'm pretty sure that people have said the opposite, my feeling is he probably needs some sort of of treatment whether that is surgery or something like that it looks like there's some sort of ongoing issue with his back because you don't you're not out for this long with a back issue where there's apparently no return date and everyone seems like none the wiser um if there's not something a bit deeper lying than we're really letting on and i can imagine why they're potentially covering that up a bit because obviously you know you tell um tell the arsenal fan base the sleeves out for the end of the season and you know the the meltdown would be pretty huge but it is uh, interesting to kind of read that they're kind of open to playing him in certain games if need be. I do think that the risk comes with that. It, it, it would depend on on the offset of it, right? Because if you're going to risk yourself for an injury and you're going to risk yourself for like a setback, then the Man City game probably is the game you do it in. If it's going to set him back, obviously six months, then obviously you don't do it. But if it's like the case of he might kind of the back might flare up 
he might, you know, just be a bit more unlikely to play the remaining games, then I'd say maybe it is a risk worth taking because realistically, Arsenal needs to get something from this game, whether that's a, a draw or a win. I think realistically, Arsenal needs to get the win, but a draw is the minimum at this point in time. I think every Arsenal fan will tell you that. And if a risk comes from, like, if, if you would say to someone, Saliba plays the Man City game, and um, and he doesn't play another game this season, you'd probably take that risk because of how important the game is as long as it doesn't really extend beyond that. So it's an interesting situation, but obviously we're so in the dark about Saliba is obviously such an important player to us. And, you know, we've, we've given a lot of airtime to the alternatives to Saliba that we don't really have <laughs> at this point in time. So it's, uh, it's going to be one of those things that we need to make the right decision at the right time. But I do think that if he's willing to play and the risk isn't too much, then throwing him against City, maybe something we have to do. Just going purely hypothetical here, but presuming that his injury, you know, progressively improves as you'd expect, do you think you'd rather throw him in at 40% against Manchester City or, you know, have him miss that um, and then throw him in at 60% against Newcastle? You know, do you risk, what, what threshold is there for him to play? And then what, consequences are you willing to accept are you willing to accept him you know at 40% against City and then being ruled out for the rest of the season or would you rather he came back at 60% against Newcastle and then is it okay if he misses the rest of the season from there you know what what sort of um, balancing act are you giving it it's hard man I think it's City I think it matters more City's that he I think yeah performs I I guess losing to City in giving them those three points is obviously a bigger blow to our title than losing to Newcastle because obviously it's not a six pointer both you know in either situation it's obviously really detrimental but I you know, if we beat City we could still lose to Newcastle and be okay we could not lose to City and be okay at least that's where I take I think um yeah it, like you said it, it is an interesting um kind of question mark Luke do you have any thoughts on that yeah, I mean, it's it's hard when you're kind of like thinking about numbers and the threshold of of, of condition and things like that. I, I, I do think that if any game is going to be, I, I'd rather a forty percent Saliba at City than a six percent at Newcastle for the same thing. Justin was saying that if you beat City, then um, uh, then you could potentially drop points at Newcastle away, which is obviously a really tough game. And I think obviously the the question is, it's not just is a 40% Saliba better than Holden because this, I, don't, I wouldn't want to kind of bring it down to something that simplistic. I do. I just think that the knock-on effect, the train reaction of Saliba being in the team, what it means for how we can play, how everyone else can play, how it kind of affects the rest of our team and how it probably affects the, the, the mood among the players, among the fans to know that we're going out there with more or less like a full strength 11 kind of gives us like a mental edge that you can't really kind of quantify by a lot of things. So I do think that unless he's really, really struggling, if he is deemed like fit enough to to give what you would call a Saliba performance in that game, then it is something that I'd definitely consider. Ben, before we um, wrap up for today, I believe it's, I'm correct in saying that if we win against Southampton, then we will... Uh, be qualifying for the uh, Champions League next year. That was obviously the target when the season started. And right now uh, we have our sights set on the title. But 
you know, I guess in the content, I guess a bigger picture context, like, what does it mean to be wrapping up, you know, the champions league potentially this early and kind of getting back into that competition is, you know, the next step in kind of Arteta's project and Arsenal's project and our development. Yeah. I mean, I think perhaps more importantly is that we, I think, I think I'm right in saying that if we win, it secures a finish above Tottenham, which, you know, it's first and foremost in every Arsenal fan's mind instead of the title. Um, (laughs) But I think that coming, you know, getting back in the Champions League is massive for so many reasons. Keeps our players that we've got that want to play Champions League football, you know, Isakas, your Martinelli's, keeps them happy. Um, it really opens the market up because when you look at the teams that are going to be in the Champions League, you know, Manchester City have, you know, it's difficult to compete with Manchester City, but Liverpool, Chelsea are probably not going to be in the Champions League. Uh, Manchester United touch and go. And then you're looking at like Newcastle. Uh, or Brighton or Brentford or even Spurs. You know, when you look at who we might be competing with for elite talent, whether it be Declan Rice or, you know, Rafael Leao or Moises Caicedo, you're looking at a set of teams where you'd say Arsenal are a really attractive proposition. You've got the second youngest team in the league or the youngest team in the league, whichever. Um, you know, you've got a clear plan, clear progression. You're probably going to... Well, you're going to come first or second in the title race. Um, there are a few more attractive uh, projects in Europe at the moment. There are more lucrative ones, but I wouldn't say there are more attractive ones. So I think that, you know, it opens up the transfer market massively for us. It allows us to potentially spend more um, because we won't be uh, on a Europa League budget. And it just feels, yeah, I mean, it will be massive for fans as well because we haven't had Champions League football in um, in the Emirates since, what, 17, 18, 16, 17? So I think I think it'll be excellent all round, but it will feel a bit bittersweet if we don't now go on to win the title, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's you know, a huge step in the project. And like you said, I think it's obviously we, we have our sights set on something bigger, but it's just going to be nice to have the securing the Champions League nights again this early in kind of, winning and we always talk about you know taking everything in stride like game by game match by match kind of thing that like you know, if we win against Southampton for a little bit we could just be like you know excited that we secure a Champions League and then next step is let's go on and win the title kind of thing so that's one little rung in the ladder as we progress on this Arsenal project so I think that's a good place for us to wrap things up thanks again to Frazier for hopping on and giving us a really nice breakdown of Southampton definitely everybody go and follow him on Twitter and uh, the Analytics United page as well it's going to be a great place to get some good breakdowns and scouting reports on players hope you guys enjoyed this episode Uh, my name is Justin you can find me on Twitter at jfishafc thanks to Luke you can find on Twitter at ecklecoon and Ben you can find on Twitter at benbrowning3 we'll catch you guys after the Southampton match is joining in and he's seen Martinelli extraordinary set it for Saliba Bakayo Saka beaten out by the roof and touched in by Jesus Bakayo Saka oh,